Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome back to the Rational Face Podcast. Yet another installment in the Ask the Mormon Sex Therapist series. This is episode number 23, and I'm back again with Laurel and Jennifer. Laurel and Jennifer, please say hello. 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 It has been a little <laughs> while since we've done one of these episodes. Um, so we're going to catch up real quick and we actually ha- are going to cover three questions today. So this episode might be a little bit longer, um, but we've got three questions that we'll cover. And before we get into that, uh, Jennifer, is there anything new? We talked about some workshops and things that were coming up. Do you have anything else mm-hmm. to announce as the summer is upon us? Let's see. Well, yes, I was part of the reason why we're kind of slow getting another episode out is because I we did a retreat in Oregon, which was phenomenal. It was awesome. Really, it was great. So it was a three-day event and the women were terrific and people stayed overnight and it was really great. So we're probably going to do that again next spring, probably in Oregon again, but we may also do another one in Utah this fall. So I don't have any firm dates yet, but we are putting together our fall calendar. And so we're going to be doing a couple's uh, relationship, a live couple's relationship and live couple's sexuality retreat in Jackson Hole. That's our plan. And probably it will be the last week of October. But We should hopefully have all those details ironed out in the next couple of weeks. And I think there will only be space for 30 couples. Uh, You don't have to do both. You can do part uh, you know, do the relationship portion of it or the sexuality portion of it or both. But um, it should be really great. Um, and then we're also going to be doing some more Art of Desire workshops in the fall. But I think we may be going to Boise and we may be doing one here in uh, the Chicago area. So hopefully all those dates will be posted really soon and maybe about the time the podcast goes up. So, yeah. Excellent. That sounds good. So a lot of stuff coming up that you're planning for in the fall. Um, I can't remember, yeah. did you have any other summer uh, workshops that are probably all filled up, but they are I coming up? I don't. We just finished up our last one in, in Wellesley, Massachusetts okay. last weekend, and so I'm taking a little breather. Good. <laughs> you're going to have a vacation, <laughs> yeah, a summer exactly. vacation. Spend some time with the family, good. and then um, they'll start up again in, the, in late August, early September. All right, great. Okay, well, that's good. So everyone uh, who's interested in those workshops and those kind of things, just uh, keep your yeah, keep your yeah, eyes go on peeled. My website, my website on the events page is where it will all be. Watch the website for those updates. Mm-hmm. All right, good. Okay, well, today uh, we're jokingly calling this the man show. There are three <laughs> uh, questions. They're all coming from men. And so... I'll start that off. I'll read off the first question and then Laurel can do the second and we'll just keep going from there. Question one. My wife and I are big fans of your podcast with Rational Faiths. We have listened to all of them and deeply appreciate all the counsel provided. This question may not be specific to LDS couples, but maybe a bigger topic many couples will face at least once or more in their marriages. My wife and I are both from active LDS families, and she recently lost a younger sister, who she was very close to, in a tragic accident. Even with our knowledge of the plan of salvation, it has led to much heartache and grief for a few months now. 
Prior to losing her sister, my wife and I enjoyed a great sex life with her orgasming frequently. At this point, we are having sex again, but she has yet to have an orgasm again, and sometimes I can tell that she loses interest in the middle of sex because she says that she cannot get into the mindset she needs to be able to to achieve orgasm or to really enjoy sex. Obviously, orgasm shouldn't be the main focus of sex, but it has always been a turn-on for me to be able to make my wife feel good and know that she is enjoying our lovemaking. She has said she likes sex at this point because it allows us to connect, even if she doesn't necessarily enjoy it as much as before or orgasm anymore. We love each other very much, and both of us miss this part of our relationship. We know that it is something that will most likely just take time to heal, but besides that, we are wondering if there are any things that have helped your clients who have dealt with grief affecting their relationships months or years after the death of a family member. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a really good question. And um, I guess what my, my main response is just to really normalize what's happening, which is, you know, your wife is clearly going through a, a profound grief and for many people, um, you know, grief can have a different impact on people around desire. For some people, the loss of a parent actually will increase their desire in sex. It's almost a way of like if they lose a parent or some other person in their life, it's almost a way of kind of hanging on to life because of the sense of loss. But in this case, and I think this is a pretty typical response with a kind of tragic accident of a sibling uh there's a sense of security that gets shattered and a sense of you know what once felt like a joyful predictable life has that has been shattered by the um suddenness of the loss and so you know not only is there just the grief of having lost someone close to you and how that will impact your relationship to pleasure and desire in your life in general. Um, There can also just be a loss of, um, like even the sense that there can be for many people a sense of like survivor guilt in a way, you know, like who am I to have pleasure? Who am I to have joy? Who am I to go to this place of, my eroticism and to, you know, push my mind to these places to give myself this pleasure when, when my sister has suffered, when we have lost so much, it's, it's almost feels too incongruous to really let your mind go there. And I think that it's a function of, of time in part and really coming to grips with the loss, which can take a lot of time. It really can. And then on some level, I think it's about giving yourself permission to live again and to live despite the loss, Um, not just survive the sister, but to give yourself permission to, to thrive despite the tragedy. And so I think that can take time to, know that it's okay um, and give yourself permission in that way. You know, sometimes when somebody loses a spouse, they just kind of can't really think about moving on 
for several years because they just need to grieve it. And then they have to come to a place in their heart that they feel that it's not a betrayal in a way to go on and to have joy with someone else or to just have joy in your life again. Um, and I just think that just takes time. And so I do think it's really telling about the quality of your relationship that your wife wants the sexual intimacy because she wants the comfort of your presence. She wants the comfort of your body. She wants to feel the nurturance of being with you, but doesn't yet feel ready or able to make it about a kind of freedom and pleasure that was a part of your sexual relationship. But I think that that's okay. And I think just, I think the, the, just basically making room for it is probably the kindest thing you can offer um, in continuing to nurture and care for her and, and hold for her the clarity that she, you know, is worthy of that pleasure and that goodness in her life again when she feels ready for it. Yeah, I mean, that's just a, it's a tough spot to be in because from the way the question's written, it's very clear that they both want their sexual relationship to be where it was, but it's just yes. not there. And so they, you know, yes. it's almost like asking the question, what's the secret combination or what are the, what's the five step yes. program to get out of this? Cause we both want to get out of it. It's not just me. Yes. We both want to be there. Um, you know, but I tend to think that you're right, that the thing that you can do is be patient with it and not push it because, yes. you know, in my own experience with pushing things and saying, well, you know, on, any variety of subjects is what you really need to do is read this paper and you need to do this because I'm <laughs> right here and I understand mm -hmm. all this stuff. And if you just did all these things, then you would be there right there with me. That kind of mm -hmm. pressure usually is not very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when people grieve or suffer a loss, they, human beings just need to fall apart. I mean, it's just kind of fundamental mm. to metabolizing grief. And it's not comfortable, but the less you judge it in yourself and the more you make room for it, I think the more able you are to metabolize it. I, you know, I remember when my oldest child, who at the time was two years old, was diagnosed with autism. And I just, you know, cried pretty regularly for over the course of a year. <laughs> it was really true. And I didn't really judge my grief. I kind of just allowed it. And you know, it, it tapered off as time went on. And then I would still have, I'd sort of go back to it at periods, especially when things were challenging or I felt really unclear about how to be a better parent to him and so on. But I think that, you know, thankfully, I think that my husband and I were both able to just kind of make room for the grief, not judge it, allow it to be there. And that helped us figure out a way to really move forward um, differently and in some ways reorganized internally, but that's just the process of that reorganization. And again, it's about giving yourself permission to live again in a new reality, but to really live, to really thrive again. Yeah. So that giving permission is the thing that 
seems to at least point you in the right direction, but you can't really force accelerate it, it. Yeah, or force it. Yeah. yeah, force it there. Yeah. Yep. I think that's about all we can really say on that one. Uh, Laurel, you have the second question. Why don't we uh, see what that one's all about? All right. My wife and I are young parents in our late 20s and have been married almost five years. We both really enjoy listening to your podcasts and reading your articles. My wife enjoys learning about sexuality. To be honest, I don't have much to complain about. My wife loves me and we have sex decently frequently. And I understand that frequent means different things depending on whose opinion it is. It's always great, and I make sure that she comes first, and she does probably 90% of the time, which is also why I'm confused by why she wouldn't desire sex, because I know she orgasms, and who doesn't love to orgasm? She always says it feels really good. My problem, if you can even call it that, is that I feel like my wife has no actual desire for sex. She doesn't initiate it, she doesn't crave it, and she doesn't make moves on me. If I don't initiate it, who knows how long we would go without sex? It just doesn't seem to be something on her radar, which is tough for me and something I don't understand. She's great at accommodating me. I'm a very sexual creature. Just looking at my wife makes me want to touch her and feel her and hold her. There's just nothing more intimate than being skin to skin with the love of your life, sharing in something so sacred and carnal at the same time. I love how close I feel to my wife, and it makes me feel that she does love me, and she does like me, and she does want me which is what I feel I am lacking. Feeling wanted, feeling lusted after, feeling like my wife wants me and wants me now, that she genuinely is attracted to me. I'm not overweight, my BMI is where it should be, but I've started working out honestly so that I could get a six-pack or a large chest and back to look more muscular in hopes it will make my wife desire me or lust after me. I wish to live a more sexual life with my wife, I just don't know how to get there or if that's even possible. Anyway, I know that was a lot, but if you have any ideas or thoughts, I would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for what you already do. Okay, so I'm just thinking maybe how to organize my response to the question. Um, I think that there's just several thoughts that come up as you're uh, reading the question, Laurel, and you know what might be going on in the marriage dynamic. It, I think the fundamental piece that he's speaking to is that he doesn't feel wanted and doesn't feel desired and chosen. Not that his wife hates sex or won't accommodate him, but it's very different than I really want you. And so I'm thinking about you know that piece in the question that he doesn't feel that. And then there's also the piece of frequency which is that he's saying, you know, I really like sex. I really like the language of sexuality. And I, you know, I just feel like my wife doesn't speak that language as readily. So that's kind of the second piece I'm thinking about. So let me go to the, um, to the first part of that. Um, what I'm inclined to think is that there's something in the dynamic between them where, you know, he is clearly the higher desire person, not just for sex, but for connection. And um, he can feel his wife's accommodation, but doesn't feel chosen in the same way that he's, that he's chosen her or wants her. And so even if they're, that I can imagine having sex feels validating and feels joyful for him and feels affirming, but he 
still doesn't have the sense that he's really being desired and chosen and wanted. And the, I guess the reason that I think that piece, um, what, what I want to talk about in that piece is that sometimes when someone does not feel desired and chosen and wanted, it's because they haven't been, okay? That they have, that their spouse has married them, may well love them very much. The spouse may feel um, that they're grateful to be with their husband and even feel desired by their husband, but don't really step in and choose their husband. They let themselves be wanted, but don't really let themselves want in return and in equal form. And I see it as a very typical thing that people do in their marriages where one gets cho- one chooses and one gets chosen. And there's a kind of safety in being chosen without choosing. And so when that happens, even if you say you love your spouse and you you know you care about them and you don't want anything to happen in the marriage, the partner that chose but didn't get chosen feels it. And feels the invalidation in it, feels the anxiety in it. And so I, what happens often when that is the case is that the husband in this case then almost desires sex more because he's trying to feel wanted. He's trying to feel sexually validated. He's trying to feel secure in that feeling. And the wife who, you know, starts feeling even less desire for sex because it's sort of, she can feel a kind of neediness in it. And she also, because she hasn't been an active chooser of the sexually intimate relationship, will feel more like something's being done to her than she's doing something, right? And it's, even if it's just a small shift, it has a huge, um, there's a huge difference in how it actually feels and how it impacts you. So I've worked with, for example, a lot of couples where I'll just keep it in the same gender frame just to to make it easy, where the woman has not chosen the man. She's married him. She has sex with him regularly, but she's never really said, I, as your equal partner, choose to love and value and invest in you and really bring my sexuality to you, to bless your life with it, to care for you both emotionally, sexually, and so forth. Um, And when the wife makes that decision, okay, makes that choice, that it totally shifts the way she feels about sex. Not only does it shift the way the husband feels because he can feel that his wife's actually there and present and loving him. And so it feels dramatically different. It's not just mercy sex. It's about, you know, I choose you. I want you. I care for you. And um, so it makes the husband less hungry in this in this uh, needy way. And then the wife, as a feeling like an actor, not acted upon, also feels a stronger sense of self while she's being intimate with her spouse. You know, one of the things that I talk about in my workshop a lot, and there's an idea of, of David Schnarch's, is that people would prefer 
people want, it's more important to people to belong to their sense of self than it is to feel sexual. That it feels so important to us to belong to our own sense of personhood that if we have to forsake sex to have a sense of ourselves, we will. And so in this case, the husband's trying to have a sense of self through having sex and the wife may be trying to have a sense of self through some resistance of it because she doesn't want to feel kind of taken over by his sexual desire all the time. And he wants the validation of his desirability and his personhood through having sex. So that's how these dynamics get set up. But when somebody really chooses, then it is, a, it is an expression of their personhood. It is an expression of themselves to say, I choose you. It's a way of making themselves more equal in the marriage as well. And so um, that's my sense is that she hasn't fully made that shift inside of herself. Um, now when, so if she were, I think they would both feel it differently. The other reality though, is that people don't always, even if she fully chooses him, it doesn't mean that she would necessarily have exactly the same amount of desire that he has, or that he wouldn't still find this a language that he maybe is part of his personality more than hers. Um, that could still be true. And so part of it is just when it's clear that both people have chosen one another, I think there's a lot more tolerance for that difference. It doesn't feel so personal when one person wants it and the other one doesn't want it. It doesn't feel so threatening to your sense of self in the marriage. And so there's more tolerance for the higher desire person for not having sex because they feel chosen. I've seen this happen in couples a lot where they really feel desired and something has solidified between them. And then the higher desire person becomes way more flexible around the actually having sex because there's just a lot more sense of desire and um, friendship that's operating in the marriage. But the other thing that happens is when you become the person who chooses and you think, you know, I'm married to somebody who really likes sex and likes to have it and I choose him and I love him. Well, then it's not about, I've got to do that for him because he's so needy this way. It's more like, look, I love him and I want to love him. And I want to speak in a language that I'd like to become more conversant in this language as an expression of really choosing him. Because if you're more in that frame, then you really are able to develop a language that we all have the innate capacity for. We all have the ability to develop, which is the, the language of, of our physicality and our sexuality. And so as a woman choosing, she then has a different way to relate to eroticism and desire and enhancing or um, encouraging this part of herself more. I actually don't see the wife as being someone who's lacking in sexual capacity or even sexual interest, it feels more like it's a function of her um, hedging a bit in the marriage, which is not pathologizing her. It's a very normal thing to do. And it punctuates the difference between the couple. It makes it almost artificially bigger than it really is. And uh, in my experience, often people haven't even fully acknowledged that they haven't chosen, but that it negatively impacts uh, both people in that dynamic.
Cool. Um, I actually had two thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, one one was really just a thought. It wasn't really a clarification, but I, I just was thinking of. I was just thinking of some of our other podcasts where, I think a recent one we talked about um, culturally, we don't really know what it looks like to see women desiring men. Mm-hmm. Like that's just and so as as I was listening to this question, I also part of the question to me sometimes comes up, especially if you grew up Mormon. Mm-hmm. is if there's also just a discomfort in you know not just sex in general but like um having part of your own identity be that you desire desire mm-hmm. a man or desire sex from the yes, person you love absolutely no i think it's absolutely right because you know the cultural um baggage that many of us have inherited without even knowing it as women is a little bit the prince cinderella dynamic that and I see a lot of women do this, like, I'll love you as long as you love me first and you love me well, because I am weaker than you. I mean, and nobody says that, but that's the idea they've kind of inherited. You desire, you should be kind to me and then I'll be kind in response because you're the stronger one. And it's like uh, being complicit in an idea that women are weaker than men without even recognizing it as that. And so in the issue of sexual desire, women often take that backseat position as well, which is you are supposed to desire me, but uh, I'm not really supposed to desire you. It's almost more feminine to be in the resistant position in the cultural narrative that we've been offered. And that is, I think, a way of undermining our strength and our capacity to really be equal partners and equally shouldering our weight in a marriage to really love and be loved, to desire and be desired. So a lot of times it's it's just in our way of thinking without even knowing it, that we are um, undermining our real capacity um, to desire and choose and love and want because we've seen it as unfeminine or somehow unwomanly. And I just couldn't disagree more with that. <laughs> I think that, you know, you know, it, it, it's a construction that has been hard on women and men, of course, because often men don't get to feel desired. Well, yeah, that's what I thought in reading this question is, well, now here we see what happens when men don't feel desired, but are also monogamous and want to be in a close relationship um, that it... Yeah it's damaging to them too. Absolutely. The other thing I want to clarify, you, you said something that was really interesting. Um, you were quoting someone else said something about maintaining personhood is more essential than sexual desire or something. Yeah. yeah it matters. It's a quote from David Schnarch, whose work I follow closely that it matters to us to belong to our sense of self. It's more important to us to belong to our sense of self than it is to, to be sexual. So, so let me see if I'm understanding what that would mean in a context. So like perhaps in this example or some, you know, something similar, would that mean for some people, if they've grown up with this idea of who they are is I am not supposed to desire the other person. Mm-hmm. That's a part of what they believe their self is. Mm-hmm. And so they'll even. That's right. Okay. Yes. Yes. So, that's one version of it. Right. Which is, yeah. that's one of the things I talk about in my art of desire course a lot is that 
if you're taught the idea that sexual desire is unfeminine and being desirable though, and, and, you know, being needless and wantless is a way to um, be significant as a person, you're going to want to shed your desires and your wants and your sexuality to feel like you are the right kind of person. Another form of it is, okay, now that I'm married, I'm supposed to want sex because now it's what the good woman does. But now I feel like I'm disappearing, like I just have to be sexual for him. And that I'm supposed to be this kind of woman is to manage his sexuality. But I feel like I'm disappearing like because I'm propping up somebody else's sense of self. So I would rather shut this whole operation down and like forget about sex because I'm tired of belonging to him in this way. And so a way of retaining a sense of self is to divorce myself from my sexual development because I don't want to be taken over by my spouse, right? So I can start talking to him about his natural man impulses and, you know, so on, (laughs) fending him off so I can belong to my own sense of self and not feel like I'm always managing him. So a lot of times people will, you know, rid themselves of this. So a lot of the problems in sexuality often have to do with just a lot of um, how we per- perceive ourselves then. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. And so I'm often in therapy and, you know, in the coursework I do is helping people to have a, to relate to a, a different way of understanding themselves, you know, particularly for women as actors in their lives and actors in their sexual, sexual relationship, because then they can kind of reclaim a part of themselves as inherent to being themselves, to being their strongest selves and expressing this sexuality in a way that they believe is good for their lives or their relationship and so on. And rather than in this way of um, repressing or pushing away this aspect of being human. Cool. Thank you. One other thought slash question on that is in these situations where you have a differential in desire um, and you kind of want it, or at least one partner wants that to be the same. Mm -hmm. And, and so in some ways you want the other person to change and you're unwilling to accept this difference in desire uh, mm-hmm. And then another way to put it is uh, the ideas uh, in that book, uh, the five love languages, that really popular mm-hmm. um, yes. guidebook where people express love and affection in different ways through gifts or through mm-hmm. intimacy mm-hmm. or whatever. And you can just mm-hmm. say, well, hey, you know, that's your love language, the whole sex thing that we do. That's for mm-hmm. you. And my love language is... Mm-hmm something else, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it might be. And yes. so that could, I could see how those could, those ideas could be used say, to not deal with the issue or to put it off yes. saying, Hey, we're just different. And that's the way things are. But there's also some truth to that, that at some point you do have to accept that there is going to be some difference. Yeah, absolutely. And see, what I would say is that if there's any virtue in the love languages ideas that <clears throat> is to thinking about, it, it's not really a virtue to say, this is my love language, therefore you must speak it. <laughs> I think it is more of a virtue to say what, if, if I love this person and I've promised God to love this other flawed human being, just like I am flawed, how do I really love this person? And how do I really value them? And it's not about making them feel loved. Okay. That I really 
don't like because it puts the control outside of the self because you can't make anybody feel anything. Okay. But it's like, how do I really bless this person's life? What is, how do I, if I've promised God to really make this person a priority and to operate in a way that accrues to their well-being and their development, what does it mean for this person? And a lot of times that's a very inconvenient answer. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like seldom is it exactly what we feel like giving. Um, you know, it's oftentimes would push us to make sacrifices and do things that we know will benefit our spouse and that aren't particularly convenient for us. And I think if you're saying, look, I choose you, that's not just about I'm willing to have sex with you. That's like I choose to be invested in you. I mean, a lot of there's a lot of people that are the higher desire sexual person and and they can say, well, that means I chose you because I want sex with you more than you do. And that doesn't mean that because a lot of people know their spouse wants sex with them, but they still don't really choose and know the spouse, right? That they want to have sex with. They don't really know that person or don't really invest in that person. And so to choose someone is to say, I invest in you and your well being. And if you're married, well, that's probably going to include a sexual relationship. And so, how do we create something that's really mutually good, mutually satisfying? Um, if you know you're married to a very sexual spouse, well, it's probably going to shape your behavior more than if you were married to a less sexual person. Because if you care about them and you want them to thrive, it probably means you're going to stretch your own capacity for sexuality a bit to, as, a, as an expression of investment and love in that person. Just as the higher desire person as an expression of love and investment would know that they're going to modulate or moderate some of that desire as well for the benefit of their spouse and the one they love. So I think that, that that's not about um, resentful accommodation of the other person. It's about investment in the other person. It creates moderation in the couple. It creates a kind of equilibrium that makes the differences not painful. Yeah, kind of an attitude shift. Yes, it's more of we as actors and how do I really care for you? And when it's mutual, it's like a, you know, it's like a virtuous a virtue spiral. It goes, you know, it makes it easier. It's like reinforcing of the, you see the other's generosity. It's easy to be generous in return. Okay. All right. Well, I think we're doing pretty good. We got time for one more question. And so this one reads, I listened to your most recent Ask a Mormon Sex Therapist episode, episode 22 where you spoke about the wife who wanted her husband to be more sexually self-confident or assertive. I have been trying to be more assertive, but don't really know how to be. My wife has seemed quite turned off by me for a long time, and, well, it's hard to have confidence when you feel a lot of doubt about your desirability to your spouse. Do you have any advice on how to develop more sexual confidence or to become more sexually assertive? Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a good question. And I think, you know, um, I'm trying to remember exactly how, what that episode was, uh, what the question was and how I answered it. But I think that one of the pieces that we talked about in that episode was that, you know, women tend to really like assertive sexual partners. They don't want the husband that's always are you okay? Do you like this? Is this, you know, too self-doubting, almost too um, nurturing. I don't know if that's quite the right word, but almost 
that they're afraid of the, their sexuality. Um, and so it creates a kind of insecurity that is not sexy for the wife. Um, so one of the things I would say is, as that's, I think it's absolutely true. There's lots of research on that, that women really do like sexual self-confidence in men. But the, the piece I would maybe start with in this question is that many women create sexual anxiety in their spouses through not choosing them. Right. So through the kind of running critique or the running, um, what's the way I'd say it, just a kind of rejection that the husband can feel. And it's a way of creating anxiety in the husband. And as I may have talked about in the last episode, you know, a lot of sensitive men feel like, you know, if sex is something men do to women and it, it is, you know, um, a way of almost taking advantage of women to get sexual pleasure at their expense. You know, I was talking to a client recently who was saying, I've just kind of grown up in this idea that the woman just tolerates you and you're kind of taking something from her for you to have pleasure. And I just feel really uncomfortable doing that. And of course that makes perfect sense because you have to be a jerk to be confident doing that, <laughs> you know, taking something from someone. So, um, so, so the first piece in this is that I, as the woman, if you want a more sexually self-confident husband, you want to think about whether or not your behavior inspires confidence and clarity and that you're giving enough information for them to know uh, their, um, their ability to affect you and to impact you uh, positively. So are you running, you know, are you offering a critique even in your heart and in your head, or are you actually offering the kind of um, exposure of yourself to show them that they have a positive impact on you? That when it comes to the man's position, if you think of this as something negative that you do or you take from a wife, you'll never have confidence, okay, not true confidence in what you're doing. Because what you feel you're doing, if you think you're actually taking something, that's going to make you insecure <laughs> because you'll have to know that nobody wants anything taken from them. Um, if, though, you are in a position of really thinking of how do I really bless this person? How do I give pleasure to her? How do I actually bring my sexual energy in a way that is about caring for her as a whole person, then it's not so much being measured by whether or not she's responding, whether or not she's um, having an orgasm, whether or not she's getting totally turned on. It's more being measured by what it is that you're in fact offering. And so if what you're offering is decent and good, then you can have some confidence in what you're offering, right? So uh, you don't have to make it so much around whether or not she tells me I'm sufficient because that's what creates the insecurity. But the confidence is based more in who you are and who's showing up sexually and what kind of care you offer through your sexuality. You know, I when I was... Uh, in my dating experience, dating years, there was a boyfriend that I had who liked me and things like that. But I sometimes felt the way that he would touch me was a way of kind of 
trying to get something from me, a kind of validation, a kind of approval, a, you know, wanting to be in connection with me, but, but more about how it served his sense of self, not about really knowing me and caring for me. And I remember when I met my now husband, we hung out for quite a while before he ever touched me. But then when he first touched me, it had, it was like a dramatically different experience for me because it felt very much about being given to and being experienced and felt not taken from. And so it was, you know, even in like non-sexual touch, it had a kind of quality of kindness, not caution, but kindness. And, um, a confidence in what he was offering that both felt very good and was very desirable because it was a confidence in the goodness of what he was offering. Where I think in the previous experience, it was more there was some anxiety of trying to get something that would feel good to him. And I don't mean it was like exploitative or anything. I just mean it was like a kind of neediness that didn't feel like it was about me, even though he swore it was it felt more about managing something in himself. And so I don't know if it's just two different pictures, but I think uh, one is much, the, the human mind can track the meaning in, in touch very, very well. And so what it is you're actually offering is makes, has a big difference in how it's experienced in the body of the other. That wasn't like a five-step guide, but <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for the eight-week program. <laughs> so I guess you just you just have to, I don't know, you just have to do it. Um, well, you do have to do it, and I think you have to, you know, you, you need to think about like, um, you know, I, it's a little bit hard to make it concrete. I think that um, you want to think about, and I talk about this a lot in the couples, the online couples courses. What is the meaning that you are communicating through the way you touch your spouse, through the way you are with her or him sexually. What's the meaning that you both understand, even if it's not articulated? Because um, a lot of times the meaning is more around a kind of neediness. So it creates anxiety in the couple while they're trying to get through the act of sex. So it has to come from something inside of yourself around a clarity about what it is that you in fact are offering. And if you think what you're offering isn't that great, which for many of us, it wouldn't be, then it means really considering how you relate to your spouse, both sexually and non-sexually, and whether or not it's real goodness and whether or not it creates something good, because knowing that's what you're offering will create confidence in you because there's nothing to be ashamed of. Does that make sense? I, I know it's so conceptual, but yeah, I'm trying is, to think about how to make it more concrete. It that. is very conceptual, but I, you know, I, I think, you know, I feel like we're on this uh, thread that's been in all of these questions, even though they are different questions about this this idea of selfhood and kind of like aligning your sexuality or your sexual desire, your sexual self with your sense mm -hmm. of self and 
just, I don't know, it's kind of a self-discovery thing, it sounds like, in this last question of finding out, you know, are you really just trying to validate yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, or is there exactly. something more than that? Yeah, like, you know, I've been working with a couple where he was always, always trying to get reassurance from his wife and resenting that he couldn't get it. And she could feel that he's trying to get that reassurance and would find it very unattractive. And she would sometimes accommodate him, but would feel rejecting of of his neediness, which would make him feel more needy. Okay, so just like a downward spiral. <laughs> and, um, you know, the way that they got out of that was that he started realizing how much he's trying to get reassurance from her and resenting her when he can't. And in the name of loving her, really taking from her. And in the name of being the nice, good guy, in fact, demanding a kind of an approval from her that was never articulated, but always operating under the surface. And when he started to really see that, that he wasn't as nice a guy as he thought he was, and started becoming more, um, taking more responsibility for what he wanted and for what he chose. And even when he would uh, make a sacrifice for the benefit of his wife, taking full responsibility for that choice and really owning it as his choice. And she could, it, it, it gave him more confidence because he felt clearer that he was actually a full partner in the marriage and really offering something good. And she could see the generosity in it and it felt better to her and it made him much more desirable because it was really about offering something out of clarity within himself to her not out of a need to get validation from her. And then it was, she could see it as genuinely generous, experienced it that way, but also saw him as more desirable because he wasn't trying to get anything from her. He was genuinely offering in a different way than she'd ever experienced. <clears throat> yeah, so it's almost more like experiencing an epiphany about yourself and what you're actually doing rather than that's right an eight-week program of... That's right. Uh, That's where development always happens. That's, yeah. you know, why I'm always trying to help people see themselves more clearly because you can't change what you can't see. Yeah. And often we have wrapped yeah. up what we're doing in meanings that are much more palatable than the actual meaning that's operating. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so until we see it, we can't really make it better. Yeah. Yeah. Well... That was a good set of questions, if you ask me. Thank you both Jennifer and Laurel for uh, asking and answering and discussing these questions. And we will talk again before the end of the summer and, and do some more questions. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Laurel. And for all of you listeners with your own questions that you would like to ask Jennifer, feel free to ask those in the comment section on the blog post. You can email them to askdrfife at rationalface.com. And you can also listen to the older episodes and browse through the different questions that have been answered already. We are going to be trying to record another episode in the around the first week of July. So it would be released in mid-July. Um, and we'd like to collect some more questions for that episode. So please feel free to submit those questions. Thank you all for listening.